Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Beautiful day, beautiful setting. 6th and Peabody is our location. OutKick 360 rolls on. Friday edition is here with Chad Withrow. I'm Jonathan Hutton coming up in 20 minutes. Shane Beamer. Head coach of the South Carolina Gamecocks will be with us. Looking forward to chatting with the SEC head coach. Later in today's show, an hour from now, Brent Hubs of VolQuest.com will be on. The latest SEC news notes, headlines surrounding name, image, likeness. One of the biggest collectives in college sports is Spire Sports in Knoxville. We'll get Hubs' take on the uh, debate that's going on right now across college athletics with name, image, and likeness and his takeaways from our conversation yesterday with United States Senator Marsha Blackburn. First, though, we check in with Paul Koharski, who has been covering the Titans minicamp practice for their rookies. Malik Willis making his debut, trailing Burks and others. PK, hope you're well, man. You're missing quite the party here on site, and I, I know there was plenty of attention there on the field. How we doing, boys? Great, man. Uh, what, what, what's the biggest takeaway from what you saw today from Malik Willis? Um, you know, that uh, there was there was good and bad, I think, would be the thing. Uh, I mean, he spins the ball very well. It's a little bit slow, the, the motion and the way it comes out of his hand, but it comes out really nicely. That spiral is beautiful. There was a stage late in the practice, you know, trying to move the ball down the field where he threw three really bad passes in a row. Uh, one that Kyle Phillips, the rookie slot receiver, went up and made a really nice catch on. Another one that hit a receiver in the back. Another one that was a uh, deep overthrow of Mason Kinsey against Roger McCreary, the, the second uh, second round pick. But he recovered from that nicely, which I thought was telling. Um, hit a couple completions, including uh, something to a rookie tight end down the middle who was covered very tightly by a linebacker. So I thought that showed something. He had trouble collecting snaps for a while. I thought he was pushing out early. You know, hasn't hasn't taken a lot of snaps under center. They're getting him started with that. But again, he recovered from that. So, um, you know, had had some struggles, but fought through and had the right tone and attitude about those things when we talked about it, where he said, you know, some of these things, not about the passes, but about being under center. You know, I haven't done it much. Uh, you know, I meant the center last night. Uh, we worked through it. I'll get better at it. It's, it's new. Well, Paul, that's what was going to be my follow-up was just your first impression, not of watching him play in practice, but your first impression of being around Malik Willis. I know that he was on a conference call uh, with you guys with, with Titans Media after he was drafted, but being there next to him, seeing how he interacts, watching him speak, what, what was that like for you in terms of first impression? Yeah, um, it's funny you ask, Chad. He, uh, 
he's got the early innocence, right? He stepped up and he kind of looked us over and said, oh, this is the new group I uh, got to get to know. You know, and I, I kind of said, like, hey, man, we're harmless. And, uh, you know, he, he was good. He had a, you know, was upbeat. He's got a good energy about him and stuff. And uh, I, I thought he handled himself well. He had a calm and patient answer for those questions, some of which were about bad stuff. Uh, you know, wasn't defensive. Handled the questions about Tannehill well. Tannehill has recently had, it sounded like all of the offensive rookies over to his house. Maybe the entire offense, but I think it was the offensive rookies. You know, they chopped it up, and he's got no issue with what there's nothing. There's nothing negative between him and Tannehill over Tannehill's mentoring comments. Um, so I think he's a lighthearted guy. He knows he's got a lot of work to do. Um, you know, and has the balance of uh, you know want to be good, want to make a good showing, but understands that there's things he's going to have to be patient with. And today was a very tiny first step with all of that. Checking in with uh, PK, who has been covering Titans minicamp for the rookies. We're going to be showing some video highlights of what Paul took out at St. Thomas Sports Park this afternoon with Malik Willis making his debut at quarterback as the rookie draft pick for the Titans. Yeah, Paul, and I also want to ask you about Traylon Burks. Um, Describe what happened that he left. Was this an injury, or is he just terribly out of shape after he left after one drill from Titans practice? I think he's uh, terribly out of shape, which is, is weird. I mean, uh, you know, there's no SEC city, and certainly uh, Arkansas is uh, fine with my my car. Says it's 87 degrees right now. I mean, it was not exceedingly hot for a May day in Nashville. I went to Willis first to watch some footwork drills. By the time I got over to the receivers, they had run, you know, on bungee cords. I'm told he was pulled back by his first bungee cord rep, which is weird. He was already hunched over, hands on knees, having trouble gathering himself. He fell further and further back in the line. He took the one rep that you guys are showing at some point here where they ran under under the you know uh, cart or roof, whatever you want to call it, to stay low. And then he fell out. After that, a trainer took him into the room, which I also shared video of you with, into the uh, doorway on the new building that's over there. Um, I'm told he came out later and ran two reps uh, with the receivers before going in again. Now, Mike Rabel said, you know, he was scheduled to speak, and he, and he didn't. Mike Rabel said, you know, look, guys think they can mimic the conditions that are going to be out here, and they just can't. Um, and so we have people who come all of the time to this, to uh, the OTAs on time, to OTAs late, who discover that they can't mimic those conditions. Um, and, you know, we just get them up to speed and, uh, and they fall in. Well, the fact of the matter is it wasn't just anybody. You know, he made it sound like, well, it could happen to anybody. Well, it wasn't anybody. It was Traylon Burks, um, you know, the guy they traded A.J. Brown for, in effect, um, who, and drafted number 18. Um, he did have an inhaler. Uh, I didn't see it, but everybody was talking about it. So he may have asthma or some breathing condition, but I'm sure he's practiced many times um, with that as well. It's not a federal issue by any means, but everybody's always going to remember he couldn't make it out of the you know, wide receiver drill period at his first rookie practice. 
thankfully, though, Chad, like you're saying, it's not the beginning of a hamstring or a calf or a groin or something like that. And, you know, the hope would be he's hydrated and ready to go and acclimated and, and gets in a full session tomorrow. Some other, you know, scrub offensive lineman, undrafted rookie left uh, later on in practice. I suspect it was also he. I'll preface everything by saying that there are Pro Football Hall of Famers from years past that would get in shape in August leading up to camp and be very overweight and out of shape this time of year. It's extremely difficult for a player, especially drafted in the first round, to show up out of shape two weeks after the NFL draft ball. Like It's hard not to look yeah. at this and just shake your head. Well, I mean, uh, you know, they're, they're running back from Michigan uh, – Hassan, I'm going to forget about Haskins. Haskins. Uh, Haskins. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, he played at Michigan. Uh, he didn't have any problems. Uh, Chig, the the tight end, um, you know, from Maryland, Brable said Clo. he was having a hard time. But we saw him running 40 yards to get back to a huddle. So, uh, you know, he was the uncharacteristic. Burks was the uncharacteristic guy today for sure. Other guys may have been struggling, but they, they were able to struggle through it. Burks was not able to, to struggle through it today. Is it a big statement or a small statement? You know, hopefully it's something that's forgotten about in relative short order. But uh, it, like you said, very odd for any high-caliber NFL guy to be in the sort of shape that doesn't get him through a rookie practice on an 87-degree day, not a 97-degree day. And, look, I'll reserve the right that maybe he's sick, he's got a bug, you know, something. There's sure. a lot of things that could be going on that he's not just out of shape. There's they could something have said else that. going on. Vrabel could have said that. Yeah, and I'll, I'll also say, though, you know, Vrabel to say it's just different. It's so different when you get out here. It's not. Paul, I, I've been to a lot of football practices before. I'm not there every day, but I've been to SEC practices, and I've been to rookie minicamps, and I've been to training camp practices. From a physical uh, ability standpoint, and conditioning standpoint, it's really not that different. I don't know what Vrabel's saying about it being that different. I understand mentally it might be different, but I don't, I don't buy that as an excuse for a guy getting out there and being overwhelmed with a conditioning element of one drill in your rookie minicamp is going to just blow you away. Yeah, they weren't doing anything super special at the time either. Um, so, you know, maybe he got himself all uh, amped up. You know, sometimes that's a factor. You get yourself amped up. You drink one too many Gatorades. I don't know, you know. Uh, and again, you know, maybe we'll look back at it and say, "Oh God, it was all foreboding when he couldn't make it through his first practice." Or maybe we won't even remember it. You know, certainly hope for the latter. But I will say, thank goodness. You know, imagine what Nashville would be saying right now if he limped off with a hamstring, as opposed to uh, to this. So it's certainly a lot better than some kind of soft tissue. Again, and, and, and I'm, we're not making a larger deal than what it is. He could practice tomorrow and be fine, but you just shake your head at this. For those that are not familiar with the Titans and recent first-round picks <laughs> and, and their ability and to receivers. practice or and wide receivers, this is par for the course. Outside of A.J. Brown, who they just traded away, this is par for the course with the Tennessee Titans. I, I, and, I immediately thought, is he going through Isaiah Wilson's workout regimen, well, no, getting ready Paul, for rookie minicamp? Paul, I thought of Caleb Farley. That's who I thought of. Last year's first-round pick, who was in bad graces with the Titans quickly in training camp. Yeah, I thought of Sam Pittman, 
So we all went our different directions, go. but they're all kind of uh, kind of the same. So hopefully Who else? Uh, we'll have to think of none of those guys. How- Outside of Malik Willis, where all eyes are on him throwing the football, uh, who else among the, the draft picks stood out to you? Who, who caught your eye today? Well, it's hard not to be focused on the ball at one of those things, and, at one of these things. And I thought Kyle Phillips, you know, lived up to uh, that film that we saw from UCLA. Uh, crafty slot guy, adjusted to a lot of throws. Um, I said that the first ball that Willis really threw that I thought was way off target was a five yard out that maybe just got away from him or whatever and Phillips went up I think on a linebacker and made you know a catch he had no business making really wasn't a highlight reel thing because it was saving a bad ball Uh, but he climbed the ladder kind of horizontal to the ground Um, I think he's going to be fun to watch Um, and uh, he was very interesting it was interesting to me uh, that Chance Campbell, the late draft pick who's an inside linebacker, wasn't wearing the green dot. Um, an un- oh. undrafted um, guy from Minnesota was wearing the green dot. So I don't know how much that means. Maybe, you know, at Minnesota played something closer to the Titans' um, uh, words and language, uh, and he picked up on it, on it quicker. I don't know how basic it is on day one or what they do. Um, but that was something that a couple of us were talking about as well. Um, and I, I thought um, Hassan Haskins, you know, looked like he knew what he was doing. I think it's probably easiest to look best running the ball on a day like today, and he certainly took a good share of handoff. Final two minutes here, Paul uh, Paul Kaharski with us, who's checking in via uh, his cell phone, uh, chatting about what he observed at Titans rookie minicamp. We, we hit on this throughout the, the – majority of the first hour the schedule release um chad watched all of the the video releases uh, across the nfl from all the social media teams i know you're having a column uh that is either about to post or has posted at outkick.com reviewing your top takeaways from the social media teams and how they unveiled their individual schedule schedules what what did you take away I, I mentioned just personally carolina uh, what, what the Panthers did was superb, but I, I fully admit I haven't watched all of them like you and Chad have. I didn't like Carolinas. I thought it moved too slowly through the schedule. Uh, I thought the best two by far, the Chargers, which initially I thought anime, this is going to be a disaster. They took shots at everybody in this thing. They took shots at Deshaun Watson, at Urban Meyer, I don't even want to tell you. you got to watch it four or five times to see all of the veiled shots they're taking in there at everybody. Getting away with murder or not afraid to tick people off. I thought it was fantastic. And the best one, I don't know, maybe one of the late night hosts is doing this out of context stuff. But the Jets, I thought, ran away with this thing. The column is up, by the way, at Outkick. The Jets had all this out-of-context stuff from commentators, analysts, coaches, and players that they then put into little cartoons of stuff going on in the cities that they're traveling to or for the opponents that they're playing against. I thought it it was brilliant and carried over the Jets' big winning offseason. How did you like those two, Chad? Uh 
no surprise here. I'm not a cartoon guy, so I didn't have those in my top. Yeah, I don't, you I pick, don't, I don't you get pick the two references. different cartoons on I'll that I'll have one. to take the, the NFL now, media that watches anime that w- thought it was great. To, I, I will to, say, I'll take their credit for I it. I will say Paul's right. The shots taken I don't like anime in either. the anime was terrific. I mean, they've well, got, I, Those were the only two I know of. I don't get yeah. the other references throughout it. Uh, apparently, half the NFL media is huge anime fans yeah I, I i'm not big into either of the cartoon i did not like the jets one. i, I mean I, I know what they were trying to do um i loved i like the panthers one i loved uh the the golden tea packers one i have the seen, golden tea okay, theme one. i want to see that um and i like the uh i like peyton manning and russell wilson with russell wilson as, i did as see that yeah i know there's a little bit too that much playing on curse head. words you know, like, the, you know, Paul, they were, like, bleeping out the curse words over and over. I'm like, okay, we get it. It's funny the first couple times, but, you know, we know that you're cussing and you're bleeping it out for comedic effect. And, and I thought the Eli – look, I'm a big Peyton and Eli fan. I thought Eli's one with the Giants was, was pretty good, too. Those are the ones that jumped out to me. Yeah, pretty good. Pretty the, good. You know, it the lives Titans up, the, it, did this high-minded uh, – you know, they're going to do this historical series on Jefferson Street in Nashville – which is nice, but they were like, okay, people are going to tune in for the schedule video, and since they're tuning in for that, we're going to uh, do a preview of this series we're doing about Jefferson Street and the history of Jefferson Street in Nashville. And I just think, that last I checked, it wasn't getting a lot of clicks. People weren't in the mood for that. That's not what they're looking for. They were like, oh, everybody's going to watch anything, so we'll debut this high-minded vision that we have. And I, I think it completely backfires. Uh, it, it, so it, I don't know what you guys it, thought about that. I, I did not. I was not a fan of it. It was it was way too high minded for what this is. You're you're right. And also, Paul, some I noticed. I went to a story that clipped everything off Twitter, so you could just click on it and stay on the site oh. and watch the Twitter video and expand it. I like that. The Titans was the only one in the league that took you to a YouTube page. I don't know what the why that is. Maybe it was too long. I don't know. But they took you all the way off the website to a YouTube page. Every other one that was in, it was an NFL.com story. In fact, every other one you could stay on the page and watch. Titans took you to YouTube. Paul, we got to run. We've got Shane Beamer uh, waiting in the room with us, and uh, we will catch up with you next week. Thanks, Paul. Have a great weekend, Paul. boys. Everybody, don't block the box. Two lock your lock. We'll have a cheers for PK with the 360 drink. Shane Beamer, head coach of the South Carolina Gamecocks, next on Outkick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Outkick 360 rolls on from 6th and Peabody in Music City, downtown Nashville. Glad you're with us alongside Chad Withrow. I'm Jonathan Hutton. Uh, We have a a great backdrop today. Friday outdoor series here at 6th and Peabody. We've got the cornhole and everything going on behind us. I saw a sneak peek of our next guest backdrop, and it's pretty legit as well. Gamecocks head coach Shane Beamer, but no head coach of, of South Carolina. He joins no us. Cornhole here. No, no cornhole yet, although I'm sure no. if he wanted that in his backyard, he certainly got it. Coach, how are you? I'm doing great. I like your backdrop better, though. It's like you've got a lot more <laughs> happening than I do. I'm at home. I'm at that little kid that's playing in the street and things like that right now. 
Next time you're in Music City recruiting or whatever it might be, swing by and say hello by all means. Are you uh, you getting a vacation? I know this is either time for vacation or you're right around the corner from where coaches actually get a little bit of time off. Uh, maybe not you, but your staff. What do you have planned? Yeah, uh, I wish. Uh, you know, May's busy. <laughs> Our assistant coaches are out on the road recruiting right now, and, and uh, head coaches aren't allowed to go out. I uh, just came from the facility. We had a great recruit that's here visiting today, so I just got done visiting with him. And really the month of May for me is recruiting, you know, in-house, and then a whole lot of Gamecock clubs. I've been going to Gamecock clubs across South Carolina for the last few weeks and visiting with donors and just trying to continue to move our practice, our uh, program forward. And June will be busy with camps and recruiting, and then we'll get a little bit of time in July as we head into the season. Coach, recently I was uh, interacting with people on Twitter about the ending of Ozark, and I started thinking about coaches like you that have a schedule that's such that you don't get to sit and watch a lot of TV or binge a lot of shows. Is there a show that you hear a lot about and you think, man, I'd really like to watch that at some point in my life. Maybe I'll get around to it when I have a couple weeks that's a little bit more downtime than usual. There's a bunch to believe it or not. I believe it or not. As a matter of fact, I actually just watched Ozark. I just finished nice. uh, the final season, so I can talk to you about that one. I, uh, <laughs> I, uh, when I was coaching at Oklahoma, Lincoln Riley used to talk about all these shows on Netflix that he loved to watch, and Ozark was one of them. So I was actually I was in Arizona last week, so I finished the second half of the final season on the flight out there and the flight back. So I did finish that. Uh, there's, there's a few. I started Ted Lasso last summer. I haven't gotten. I haven't finished that. Uh, I need to see that one. Yellowstone. People tell me I need to watch Yellowstone. Yep. Uh, I did get into when Stranger Things. I guess they got a new one coming out. I think this summer as well. I, I got into that a couple summers ago. So you're right. I don't watch any TV shows, but if I do have a little bit of downtime, those are the ones I watch. The ones I will be watching. We're going to do a, uh, like a podcast, Coach, uh, Chad and I, and Paul, uh, who's not here but will be here, uh, recapping Ozark. I haven't watched it yet. I, I've watched it up until the final season. I've got to binge it. It is on the to-do list this weekend, and I have full faith that I will be able to finish this by Monday. Well, uh, So no spoilers, please, But, guys. I mean, also, you just laid out a number of shows. Yeah. And I'm thinking, first off, you got good taste in shows because I've seen everything that you laid out. And second, I, I'm thinking – this has to be a slight advantage in recruiting that you can actually talk to these kids yes. about shows they may be watching where I feel like most people in your profession, with the exception, obviously, of Lincoln Riley, as you just said, <laughs> who apparently has time to watch all these shows, uh, they're not watching a lot of TV shows, so they're not up to date on entertainment trends like you are. No, you're not. I try and stay up. You know, I've got to be able to kind of understand the music uh, that they're listening to because I hear it all the time in our facility. and. And uh, I think you need to have a balance in there as well. And, and you know, most of the shows I watch, I'm at home. If I'm watching TV, it's something sports-related. But I do think it's good every once in a while just to be able to get away from that and, and uh, pour into to something else and also allows you to connect to the guys that you're recruiting and coaching as well. Speaking of staying up with trends, are you up to date on the trend with the NCAA? It appeared like they were falling apart. Their president <laughs> resigns. And then a couple weeks later, they come out and say, well, now we're going to lay the hammer on all these things retroactively in the past. What are your thoughts on right now where the governing body of college football and college sports is and maybe where they need to go now moving forward? 
Yeah, I think it's uh, you just nailed it. It's it's uh, it's week to week, day to day. Uh, a lot of the information that comes out, and, and I'm probably like a lot of coaches. Uh, the governance structure isn't what we as head coaches necessarily want it to be right now, and I think there's certainly ways to, to be better. So the uh, the ACC and a lot of the other conferences just had their conference meetings. We have our SEC meetings coming up in Destin here in a couple weeks, and I'm uh, expecting this will be my first time ever being there in person in Destin, and I would imagine this will probably be the most uh, uh, the, the biggest time that things have gotten done. I mean, I'm, I'm eager to jump into some of those meetings with the athletic directors and head coaches in the Southeastern Conference and, and try and figure out what the best way forward is. Right now, it's, there's no question um, – it's not where it needs to be, and we need to continue to find ways to make it better. South Carolina head coach Shane Beamer, our guest on on Outkick 360. Coach, you were um, among the uh, the first staffs with with Kirby Smart at Georgia, with Sylvester Croom at Mississippi State prior to Georgia. How much did that help you last year, taking a, a program that had just won two games the year prior to 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 seven wins a, a year ago in year number one? Yeah, no, it was huge, and. and uh, Relied on that so much. You know, I've been around some great coaches in my career, no doubt about it. But to be on Coach Cruz's first staff at Mississippi State coming in year one, to go and be a part of Kirby's first staff at Georgia year one. And then when I went to Oklahoma, that was Lincoln's, uh, I guess, second year as the head coach. First, like, true full offseason and all that. So he was very much a new coach as well. So there was – had a pretty good uh, – you, you never prepared – for everything when you sit in the head, a head coaching chair, but I had great learning opportunities by being around those guys in their year ones and, and year two, just seeing how they implemented things from day one. You know, Coach Croom took over from Jackie Sherrill. That program in Michigan State was different than the one that Kirby took over from uh, uh, Coach Rick. And then the program that Lincoln took over from Coach Stoops was different than both of those. So, I was able to be a part of three different programs, all unique in their own way with the timing that we that our new coach took over and uh, drew from all of it. It was a huge, uh, 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 great value for me last season, for sure. You are a meticulous note taker. Uh, I, I do the same thing. I don't know if I'm to your level or not because I'm not good <laughs> at implementing things that I, I take notes on. I very rarely go back and read them for that matter. Uh, but you did this. Uh, you, you've done this throughout your entire career, and and I, I'm sure you take things from every stop and put your own spin on it. But if I if uh, let's start with Lincoln Riley, what what were things that you now implement from him that maybe you've put your own spin on? Is there something that you can point to last year, either in a practice or in a game or management during the week that you would say, yeah, that's that's something I picked up on along the way? You know, I think Lincoln he did a great job of just. Uh, you know, staying steady and never getting too high or too low. Uh, I think that was one of the great qualities that my dad had. Um, you know, Lincoln was very consistent. In 2020 at Oklahoma, we started out one and two. Beat Missouri State. Uh, this is during COVID. Beat Missouri State. Lost to uh, Kansas State and Iowa State back-to-back weeks. And all around Norman, there's panic because we're 0-2 in the Big 12. <laughs> but just the steadiness that he showed and, and – uh, the toughness and fortitude took from that. And then certainly a lot of the things offensively, that was my main reason for going to Oklahoma. There was a lot of them, but one of them was certainly to get connected with Lincoln from an offensive standpoint. And 
just some of the things that he did offensively that we tried to uh, implement at our place last year as well. You mentioned your dad, of course, the legendary coach of Virginia Tech, Frank Beamer. And, Coach, I've got a six, almost seven-year-old daughter, and she has no interest in what I do for a living, so I don't get any questions about my job. But I do think about if she gets to a point where she wants to know a lot about my job, how willing will I be to discuss the finer details of my job after a long day of work, and will I be energetic about sharing that part of my life with my kids? Was that something your dad was energetic about when you told him, hey, I kind of want to do this, I want to get into coaching, and you would ask him questions? Hutton asked about your note-taking. Were there a lot of mental notes about how he would treat your questions when you asked him about that profession? Yeah, no doubt. You know, I think uh, I learned from watching him all those years that were a lot of mental notes where, uh, you know, a lot of the questions that I have still to this day, I kind of already know the answer to what he's going to say. Um, you know, when I first talked about getting into coaching, he, uh, you know, he, his first reaction, he would tell you the same, was really like, are you, are you nuts? Are you crazy? Like, you've been around this family all this time, and you've seen how up and down this profession is, and you want to be a part of it. Um, you know, but he was very willing, still is to this day. Now, I've got three children. My sister has three children. He's more interested in being granddad than he is uh, advisor to me. I got to drag it out of me. But he was willing to help when I was growing up. And, and I really was just able to take so much just from watching him, uh, particularly early on. I mean, in high school, uh, Virginia Tech was struggling. I mean, my, my freshman year in high school, Tech won five games. Sophomore year in high school, they won two games. It wasn't until my dad's, I think, seventh year at Virginia Tech that they even went to a bowl game. Uh, so I saw a lot of the how he handled the good, but especially the bad, early on, too, as I was growing up. Have you had any more fun throughout your football playing days or career coaching than the 99 season at Virginia Tech, which was, I believe, your senior year and Michael Vick's freshman year where you went to the national championship game? Does anything compare to that year? I've had some great moments in my coaching career and great years. I mean, being at Georgia and having a chance to play for the national championship and winning the Rose Bowl, that was special. But for that to be my senior year in college, my last year playing football, then to be able to share that with your dad at a place like Virginia Tech that had never done that before was uh, that was pretty storybook and, and hard to beat and always uh, always will be. That's until we win a championship here at South Carolina. Then then ask me again. But uh, certainly that was a really really fun year. Other than the last game, I mean to cap it all off would would have been to, to win that final game in the national championship against Florida State. And that's something that still sticks with me to this day and still motivates me to get back and, and try and win it as a coach now. But that was that was a pretty special year, especially having a front row seat to Michael Vick yeah. and, and the special talent that he is. For those that don't know, you were the long snapper that year too. How were you from snap to hold on the timer? And uh, <laughs> does, is your current snapper better than what you were at Virginia Tech? Oh, man, good question. Um, I was okay. I, uh, that was a way for me to get on the field. You know, I was in eighth grade, and I was a quarterback, receiver, defensive back growing up. And I think it was about eighth grade. My dad had a very real conversation with me, and it was, Shane, you're not going to be talented enough to play football at a high level if you want to be a quarterback or a receiver. But you're pretty good snap that you ought to kind of work on that. And uh, I did. I played some receiver in college just because I knew I wanted to get into coaching. 
and I wanted to stay involved with offense and defense. So I did that. Snap for uh, three years with the starter. And I was good. I was I was accurate. Nobody will ever call me a great athlete, but I was <laughs> athletic enough to get downfield faster than a lot of the other guys if I was smaller. Uh, and the snap we have here at South Carolina, Hunter Rogers, he's a uh, he's a little he's faster than me, so he's got that on me as well. So I'd say he's uh, he's got me on that one, but I, I can hold my own. Shout out Hunter Rogers now on Outkick. I love it. Um, uh, Spencer Rattler coming over. Um, is the transition extremely easy for him because of the familiarity he has with you and you with him and the offensive system? Or is it pretty much the same as any transfer would have coming in at quarterback for an SEC program? I think it's pretty much the same. I mean, he obviously has familiarity with me because we were together at Oklahoma, but I'm, I mean, I'm obviously I'm with him every day, but I'm not in every single meeting with him and, and around him. So that's not an easy transition when you come in from starting quarterback, championship winner the year before uh, in 2020, to now you're in a completely new locker room and you really don't know anybody. But our players have done a great job of welcoming him and the other transfers. Spencer's done a great job of getting himself adjusted and just coming in and being one of the guys. And, and uh you know, I'm proud of him. He's done a great job and went through spring practice, obviously did a great job in spring practice and has really, uh, uh, you know, become a member of this team and a uh, in a close, a very close member of this team in a short time, if that makes sense. It's clearly, you know, you, you were co-national first-year coach of the year this past season. A lot of success and a lot of buy-in from your team that you inherited at South Carolina. But, Coach, I'm curious about the buy-in from your fan base and everyone around the program. You had mentioned playing at Virginia Tech, not a place with a big championship pedigree when your dad was coaching there and sort of transforming expectations at a place like that. South Carolina similar, not a lot of championship pedigree with South Carolina football. So when you take this job and you go in there, what's it like when you're talking to boosters, when you're talking to alumni about your vision for possible championships down the road? Yeah, it's been great. Um, one, I think it helps me because I truly want to be here. I've been outspoken about how much I love uh, being at South Carolina and how much I wanted to be the head coach here from my time here before. I love living in Columbia. I love being a native of South Carolina. And my family and I are so happy here, so that helps me. Uh, and I've said it publicly, and I mean it, and I've told these donors that. I mean, to me, we have everything that we need to win championships here at South Carolina from a city from an academic standpoint resource we play in the toughest conference in america without a doubt in the sec but if you're the best team if you're one of the best teams in the sec you're going to have a chance to compete for championships beyond uh, uh the sec championship and, and i think we've i know we've shown the way in other sports our women's basketball team just won a national championship our baseball team won back-to-back national championships you know in this in the, in the 2000s and uh you know we 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 have the resources. We've got to continue to bring them along. Don't get me wrong, but we're at a place where we can compete at the highest level, and it's a place that uh, has a rabid, rabid fan base. You guys have followed uh, this, you know, followed this long enough. You know what South Carolina Gamecock Nation's about, and, and uh, it's a loyal fan base. It's extremely hungry for a winner. When I was here as an assistant coach in 2010, we played for the SEC championship, and that last season that I was here in 2010. We beat Alabama when they were number one in the country. We beat Georgia. We beat Florida. We beat Tennessee. We beat Clemson. 
You know, right after that, South Carolina had three straight seasons of 11 wins or more. So we're not talking about something that's, you know, we had history 50 years ago. We had a pretty good run in the last 10 years, and now, it's, uh, now we're working hard to get back to that and be even better. South Carolina head coach Shane Beamer with us on Outkick 360. Um, I, I saw your recent comment about the preseason game, for lack of a better way to, to phrase this, a scrimmage. Uh, the, the only sport right now, big-time sport, that doesn't have a, a preseason or an exhibition game leading up to week one is college football. Uh, I came into the studio that day and I said, man, this would be awesome, either in the spring or in August. Uh, since you made those comments, are we any closer to actually getting down the path of seeing something like this? Are other coaches on board with you? Uh, I, I'm sure some ADs would love this because it would bring some, you know, some some tickets back to a, a spring s- scenario here. Either that's Division One, Division Two, whatever the matchups are. Uh, how realistic is an idea that you floated out there recently that we could have a scrimmage-like scenario for programs instead of just a spring game? Well, you asked, are we any closer? Probably not. Okay. Uh, but are there other coaches on board? Absolutely. Uh, just because it's so tough, the role we're in. I mean, we get, I've got, we got, I think, 29 practices in the month of August against each other before we play a game. And that's a long time. That's over a month, or right at a month of just practicing uh, against each other. And even the same thing in the springtime. I mean, to me, it makes, it makes way too much sense from a financial standpoint, from a, a fan interest standpoint. Development standpoint of your program, whether it be in the spring or preseason practice. I mean, I just, uh, I think it'd be great. And um, you know, nobody's listening. Nobody's listening to me, but I certainly think it's something that has a lot of merit and, and something that we need. And maybe one day, uh, maybe one day it'll happen. And uh, you know, there's a lot of other issues that we have in college football right now that we're trying to trying to get sure. solved and figured out. And, um, maybe we we'll, maybe we cross this bridge and, and do something with it at some point in the future. What if we even up the ante? You've got a game on October first against South Carolina State. If you played that game in April, then you start <laughs> out in September one and zero for teams, or you, you schedule another team from you know a smaller conference type school, uh, and you kind of get a jump start on the season that way. And you could sell it as you know you get one game in the spring, and if you choose to play it, you can. It's got to be someone from a certain level. Uh, there's a lot of talk about these programs are in danger moving forward. When you see the further separation of the major conferences, it's a way to get them a little money uh, in a time they're not normally getting money also. I think it's a win-win for everyone, Coach. Yeah, that's a, uh, I hadn't thought of that. That is certainly a, uh, outside the box, uh, outside the box thinking for sure, you know, and something to think about also. I, I love it. I mean, the more we can help uh, the other programs, we've got some great programs in this state. Or even if just regional rivalries. I mean, we don't play uh, NC State anytime soon, I don't think. Georgia Tech, we don't play anytime soon. There's a lot of regional rivalries uh, uh, with other schools here that we don't play that I know there'd be great fan interest in, as well as the opportunity to compete against some of the smaller schools also. So I'm all for it. Just tell me where and when and who, and I'll be there. Hey, uh, the, the easy marketing here is USC against USC in the spring. You and Lincoln Riley going head-to-head. I'm in. He uh, he reached out to me a few weeks ago. Where we were texting back and forth talking about kind of a uh, coaches, USC versus USC golf event uh, somewhere <laughs> nice 
with maybe some donors. Maybe this is even better. Let's uh, let's combine it maybe with a football weekend too when we play USC. As long as you get to play with Will Ferrell, man, you're getting the better end of that bargain. You should <laughs> absolutely sign up for that. No That's doubt. right. Hey, Coach, great to have you on the show, man. Hopefully this is the first of several, and uh, keep up the great work and the success there uh, after year one. Uh, thanks for having me on. Right back at you guys. Love uh, love following you all. You guys keep up the great work also. Hope to be back on soon. Go Gamecocks. All right, Shane thanks, Beamer coach. there, head coach of the South Carolina Gamecocks. You can follow them on Twitter at GamecocksFB. Energetic dude. Uh Great, great pedigree. Great first year. Great pedigree and great, yeah, absolutely. Seven and six from two and eight the year prior. And then what they accomplished in year number one and what to build on. And I think he doesn't get enough credit or any first-year coach, Heupel's in this too, of taking over a program during a, a season of change across the college sports landscape. There's a lot of transition that took place across college football last year, right before the season started. And a lot of first-year coaches flourished or didn't based on how they were able to get a grasp on things. You can tell Beamer did, Heupel certainly did, and some others who did not. We'll discuss that. Plus, uh, an event coming up, we've got Eccles behind us. Yes. Look at this drunk uncle behind us on OutKick 360. <laughs> our very uh, own drunk uncle. There he is. There he is. Our, our Will Ferrell, uh, John Eccles, is in the house. Coming up, that, there's, a, there's something, uh, Chad, that even your kids will be interested in with an idea you have as you take it home. I've, I've got details on this for all of the dads out there. Is it anime? Uh, it's not anime. Great. It's something I'm in then. Let's talk about something you'll it. actually want to watch. Let's talk That's about it. That's next on OutKick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. There's clickbait and then there's actual cool things going on in space through NASA, there is a payoff to this, I promise. Outkick 360 rolls on. You're saying there's NASA clickbait uh, out there? There was a report from the New York Post. They put out a link yesterday that said a meteorite was headed towards Earth. And so you click on it, and I guess it's not a false statement. It is headed in the path of Earth. It will pass by us 3.5 million miles away from actually hitting the planet. So when you click on it, you're like, what? Is this breaking news? And then you, you click on it, you're like, nah, it's just, it's just within some radius of NASA actually reporting it. Now, they also let us know, Chad, and you should yeah. absolutely get Evie on board with this. I know Claire will be watching. Dylan Taylor and others uh, will probably be out there uh, drinking a cerveza to this at 12.54 a.m. You think Eastern. Dylan strikes you as a guy that's got his own home home telescope? He does, yeah. He's out there at night yeah. looking at constellations? He, he and Jacob Swanson both. Um, according to NASA, a partial lunar eclipse will be visible starting, this, by the way, is Sunday night going into Monday morning, okay. all right, uh, from 10.15 p.m. Eastern to 12.54 a.m. Eastern. So, you know, the so 9, the 9 o'clock of that window. 11.30 window. Yeah. A partial lunar eclipse. Uh, it occurs during the full moon phase. The moon will generally be visible starting around sunset. This means most viewers on the east coast 
will see the lunar eclipse in its entirety, while those on the West Coast will be able to see the lunar eclipse in progress. Um, the next one will not happen until March of 2025. So I just passed this along because I actually think you're in the cool dad phase with Evie right now. Yeah. And you can take advantage of this by letting her stay up late on a Sunday night for science. Here's the, here's the dilemma. Do I let her staying up to watch this lunar eclipse <laughs> sacrifice? Affect your Monday? Well, my TV time. Oh, Her yeah. Monday will be fine. Like, she'll get up and go to school. It'll, it'll be fine. But it affects my downtime to watch TV on a Sunday night. And I cherish those moments. Huh? It will appear. I cherish these times. The moon will be blood red. I should red. cherish the moment blood with red. my daughter with the lunar eclipse more. But I might let her stay up. I'm definitely going to be watching. The earth will well, be. You, you sold me now. I'm going to be taking this We will out. be directly between the sun and the moon on Sunday night. So it'll be a blood red. A blood moon. red moon. Yes. I'll be, I'll be looking at it. If if Evie hears about it at school, which is possible, then she'll certainly be not by up. listening to this show. She'll be staying up, yeah, or ever asking anything. Dad could be any number of professions to Evie. She doesn't care. How about Beamer, Shane Beamer, as a long snapper at South Carolina, senior year? Michael Vick's a freshman, comes in and takes college football by storm. That year, I don't remember the final score. It was like fifty-six to nothing. Virginia Tech played number sixteen-ranked Syracuse. I've asked Bullock about this. 16th race there, and they just beat them 50. I mean, just drum them. Well, and No he's, contest. He's such a – he's not a big guy. No. Shane Beamer. So I, I laugh at the small, long snapper. You talk about how, how much ground he could cover. Yeah. How quick he, he could get down on punt coverage <laughs> as the long snapper. I'm thinking, yeah, because you're the smallest long snapper probably in college football at that point. I was with someone. He's with a the, really good guest, though. Fun guy to talk to. The weekend at the USFL, I won't name the coach. Someone was timing the long snappers for three teams. And I said, how is it going? He's like, it's, it's extremely slow. And I said, welcome to the non-NFL. <laughs> Everything's going to be slower Shane than what Beamer you expect. Shane Beamer may try out for you. He could go out here and do it right That's now. That's right. Headlines next. Brent Hubs as well from VolQuest.com talking SEC, Vols, NIL, and more on Outkick 360.